Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. Of course, as you know, I believe we've been in this book of uh, this book of the Bible enough for you to know where we've been. Uh, we've we've been looking in chapter number one, verse number one. We've seen the author of this epistle. Then we moved in verse number two, and we saw the audience of this epistle. And then we moved verse three and four, and we saw the appeal of this epistle. And then this past Wednesday night, uh, we came to verse number five and began to preach a little bit in verse number five concerning the aim of this epistle. We've been talking about how chapter number one is a chapter that gives a firm foundation to our understanding of all that will be dealt with doctrinally in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And in doing so, we are getting down to the uh, we are getting down to the crux of what the Apostle Paul was trying to tell this young man, Timothy. In verse 1 through 4, there are uh, some introductory remarks that we've dealt with at length. And now, when we come to verse number 5, as I mentioned this past Wednesday night, the Apostle Paul is now coming straight to the point. He is telling him his aim for uh, telling uh, these words to Timothy, giving this charge to Timothy. And so in verse number five, I want us to uh, begin to discuss what verse number five is saying, or really continue that. And as I mentioned this past Wednesday night, it is one of the more uh, difficult verses to understand in this chapter uh, for the sake of the, for the, sake of, uh, the fact that so so many have different opinions and thoughts as to what this is talking about. I believe as we go further from here, it'd be uh, more clearly understood as to what those verses mean. This seemed to be, uh, this verse seems to be the most obscure out of the 20 verses that make up this first chapter. And uh, so we will look at verse number five and we have seen that the aim he says here in verse number five, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That word end there literally gives the idea of an aim or a purpose, a end result or a desire. And so what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy is my purpose in writing this is charity. The aim behind why I am writing these words and the reason why I've told you to give this very bold and this very stern and this very specific charge is charity. And so we began this past Wednesday night talking about charity a little bit. And so we, we talked first of all about the charity explained in verse number five, dealing with that word charity, how it is agape, that, 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 that strong Greek word for love and how it is different from phileo and how it is different from eros and I don't have time to preach that message again but we did deal with a common misconception between agape and phileo and uh, if you don't remember that or you weren't here it's online you can go back and listen to it if you choose to or we can make it available to you but charity is uh, something that is a true mark of one's salvation. We talked about how uh, this charity is something that only God can give. Agape love is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the person of God. And so if you're to show true agape love to some other individual, one that, a love that is not selfish,
selfish and not self-serving. Uh, you uh, will have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior in, other, in order to do that. Amen. So we see charity explained, but tonight I want us to pick up from there and then talk about how what charity is expressed here in these verses. Look again at verse number 5. May not be a very long message this evening, but I want us to get our understanding here of verse number 5. Notice what the Bible says here. Now the end of the commandment, and notice this, is charity out of a pure heart uh, and, uh, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So now that we have explained what this charity is, now we can see how the end of this letter, how the end of uh, this uh, charge, the purpose of this commandment, if you will, is charity. How it is expressed as charity. What does that mean? Amen. Paul is telling Timothy here the reason why he is charging him uh, to charge the false teachers to stop teaching other doctrines and false doctrines. Why he is to charge the false teachers and those that hear them in the church to not give heed to fables and endless genealogies. And Paul expresses that purpose in one word and that is charity. In other words, it's love. It's true love. It's agape love. It's unselfish. It's not self-serving. Amen. The actions that Paul is uh, showing in these verses, in calling for Timothy to make this charge, are actions of love. They come from a place of love. Amen. And that's what he is expressing in verse number five. Amen. By the way, the actions of love that Paul is saying, and that he is expressing and that Timothy will be expressing when he gives this charge to the church at Ephesus and those that he preaches to in the city of Ephesus, the action of the love that he gives in the form of his preaching and telling them the truth is the exact opposite of what the false teachers did when they preached to them falsehoods and lies. Amen. If someone loves you, they'll tell you the truth. If someone doesn't love you, then they'll let you go forward in a lie and in, uh, in, a, in something that is not true, even believing that it is. These false teachers did not love them. They did not care for them or else they would have told them the truth. Amen. And Paul here is saying that the reason why I've told you, Timothy, to preach as hard as I've told you to preach and tell these folks that have gotten used to hearing this false teaching and telling them what they have have received in a genuine heart trying to learn to walk with God and to serve Him, to go against what they've known and what they've become accustomed to while it is uncomfortable for Him and while it would be uncomfortable for them to break loose of everything they had naturally become accustomed to and trusted in while it is hard. Paul tells Timothy that it is because of love that he's doing that. The end of the commandment is charity. Now, let me say this. I believe that as Paul writes these words to Timothy, we know, first of all, that he loves God. I don't believe you can look at the life of the Apostle Paul and make any kind of reservation as far as that statement is concerned. If anyone that has ever lived has loved God, amen, as far as a 100% human being, amen, I believe we'd say that Paul loved God, wouldn't you, amen? I would say this, <coughs> I believe that not only do we find that Paul loves God, but I believe we know that Paul loves God's Word. I believe we see in these verses and how Paul deals with Timothy even that he loves Timothy. He calls him my own son in the faith. I look at you as a son. I want to see the your ministry be a success and those that you pastor be blessed and helped by your faithful ministry. I believe we see Paul's love for Timothy. I believe we see Paul's love for the people in the church at Ephesus. 
purposes. We've talked about that, how much he loved this church and how much of himself he gave to this church. I would say this, not only do we see Paul loving those in the church at Ephesus, but I believe in him mentoring the man that's going to preach the Word of God uh, to this city. I believe we see Paul's love for the city of Ephesus, as wicked as they are, as ungodly as they are. I believe we see Paul's love for the city of Ephesus. Amen. I believe we can even see Paul's love for these false teachers in these verses. Why? Because he in this letter is illuminating the fact that they are in error and he is encouraging Timothy uh, to branch off from that which is in error and preach the truth. Amen. And to confront these false teachers with the truth. Amen. You can confront sin and do it in love. You can confront what's wrong and do it in love. And I believe when you confront someone, amen, that's doing wrong, you can, you do it right and you do it in love and from a place in love, you're giving them the opportunity to get some help. Amen. And I believe Paul is doing that when he writes these words. Amen. I believe Paul wanted to see these false teachers get saved. I believe he wanted to see them get right with God. And I believe he wanted to see these false teachers turn from teaching that which is false, embrace that which is true, and begin to go out into a lost and dying world and sharing the truth of the gospel and sharing the truth of the doctrine, amen, that the apostles had been teaching that they had received from God, amen. I believe we see that, amen. Paul also, I believe in giving this commandment, in giving this charge, amen, knows that Timothy will share in the love that he has and they unitedly can tell this church that all of this charge that they are giving to them that Paul has received from God and that Timothy has received from Paul and that they are receiving from Timothy. I believe that they unitedly together, Paul and Timothy working on the command of God for this particular ministry. Amen. I believe that they can come and tell them that the entire reason for all that we've said is because we love you and we care for you and we want what's best for you in this church. Amen. I believe we see that, that it's coming from a place of love. I believe when we come to verse number five, and I, I'll be honest with you, this is my thoughts. This is my opinion. I didn't get this out of a book somewhere. Uh, the books, amen, are very thin as to what they have to say about uh, these verses and what they do say. I've, I believe that they're incorrect, most of them, when they say what they said, amen. Sometimes it's hard uh, to read behind men that are Bible correctors, amen, and uh, because a lot of them are, amen. And so you got to be careful who you read behind. You can read 15 pages and maybe get one sentence out of 15 pages, amen. Usually that one sentence you get is good, amen, really good and I'll help you, amen. But you've got to filter through a lot of mess, amen. And I don't encourage people weak in the faith uh, to do a whole lot of that, amen. But so when I came to this passage, I began uh, to prayerfully, amen, to ask God, Lord, what is this verse teaching? I believe the Lord gave me some clarity as I studied and prayed. Amen. I believe that what Paul is telling Timothy here and what's being illuminated for us here is, a, is really is a, a threefold type of, uh, of, of, of thought here. I believe when we come to this verse, we find that Paul is telling Timothy that he wrote this letter, he wrote this epistle to him and encouraged to make this charge of them because of the love, first of all, that Paul had for them. Amen. We've already talked about that. I believe secondarily that Paul is telling Timothy that when Timothy issues this charge to them, it will be because of Timothy's love for those that he's issuing this to. And then thirdly, I believe and most importantly that he's saying not only does it come from a place of love in Paul's heart and in Timothy's heart, but I believe what he says at the end of the commandment is charity his aim in giving this charge is charity. Not only does it come 
from a heart of love and a place of love. Amen. But I believe that he is saying that it will produce love in them. Amen. I believe when he says the end of the commandment, the end of the charge, the purpose of it, the aim of it is charity. Is that him giving them the truth in love will produce love and charity and a God-like love in them. Amen. And I believe we see that as we look in these verses. I believe that Paul is letting Timothy know that if he would preach God's Word and he will rightly divide the Word of truth in their presence to these that he has been called to serve and to stand for what is right and to stand against all forms of false doctrine that these people that have become his people, his church under his ministry, if you will, if he'll preach against the false doctrines that they have been hearing, I believe that God through the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy that Timothy, if you'll stand where I've told you to stand and preach what I've told you to preach and you give people the truth that I will honor that a very act of faithfulness done in a spirit of love from a heart of love and it will cause love to be produced in those that hear the truth. I believe that's what he's saying here. I believe that this verse could allude to the fact that there will be love that is produced in the people of God in Ephesus for Timothy as their spiritual leader for being willing to give them the truth when so many others had given them lies and things that were not true but more than that it would produce in them a love uh, for uh, it would produce in them a love for God and for his word that will be strong enough to confront any false teaching that may come to them in the future. These people have been ransacked by false doctrine. And so if there is one thing that can confront falsehood, it is falling in love with God and His Word so much, amen, that you'll embrace what's true, you'll repel that which is false, and you'll give yourself to the truth, and that truth will begin working in you to where the love and of the actions of your heart and issued from your life will begin as an agape love to show forth and emulate the love of Christ in the midst of a lost and dying world. You'd be surprised what just truth in love will do. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 4 this evening. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11. I believe that Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about truth in love and the production that love can have when it's coupled with truth. Can I say this? It's one thing to give the truth, amen, and it's completely another thing to give the truth in love. I believe that when we come to verse 5, we see the, the truth of God coming from a place of love, and that will produce, when the truth is accepted, love in the people who hear it and give themselves to it. I believe Ephesians clarifies it a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, here's what the Bible says. Paul said, and he gave some, God gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. I could say a lot on that, but I do think that there is something interesting to the fact that pastors and teachers are coupled together. I do believe there's two different thoughts that go along with that. Number one, that in the local church ministry you are to have both pastors and teachers and they work together as one collective unit giving truth to God's people. Although I also think this could be combined and not separated. So separated also alludes to the fact that God expects His pastors to be teachers as well. Amen. It's not just enough to preach the Word of God, but you must as a pastor, the Bible 
says, be apt to teach the Word of God as well. I've heard so many people say, and it's not part of the message tonight, but I do believe it's worth saying. I've heard so many pastors say, God called me to preach and not to teach. And, and so I preach to my people, but I'm not teaching them. And if that's the case, you are disqualified from the pastorate. You're supposed to be apt to teach. Amen. If you're not teaching your people Bible doctrine, it doesn't matter how much you spit and sweat and whatever you want to call what you're doing is preaching. If you're not teaching the Word of God, there's a problem. Amen. And so that's just extra tonight. Amen. Look at verse 12. He says, why did he give apostles? Why did he give prophets? Why does he give evangelists? Why is he giving pastors and teachers? He said in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual maturity. He says, for the work of the ministry, to do the work of God's ministry, for the edifying, notice this, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now isn't that interesting? Considering the fact that what the Bible says in verse number 4 that these false prophets that Paul has told Timothy to charge that they stop teaching heresy. Part of the reason that God had a problem with them in Ephesus because what they taught the Bible says did not bring godly edifying. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, verse 4, which minister questions rather than godly edifying. He said to the, church, to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians 4, Paul did, he said the reason why God gives you a pastor and gives you Bible teachers is so you will be edified. Amen. The false teachers are not edifying. God's given you true teachers that they may edify the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. He says, for the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 12, verse 13, till we all, all of us that are saved, come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. In other words, a spiritually mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, spiritual children, spiritual babes, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul said, You need to grow up in your faith, and truth will cause you to be edified and build up in your spiritual faith so that when the false teachers come and the heretics come and they put falsehoods in your ear you'll know the difference and you will not be susceptible to them you will not be blown about with every wind of doctrine that blows by your life but you'll stay planted and you'll stay firm amen by the truth that has been that you have been edified in amen and built up in amen he talks about the slight of men. Talks about cunning craftiness. When I think about slight, the word is slight, I often think about uh, slight of hand, illusionist, or something of that nature. They have tricks of slight of hand. They'll have you watch this when they're really doing something over here. And I think about the trickery that's involved in that. God here through the Apostle Paul says that these men are tricksters. Amen. They are, they are sly. Amen. They have cunning craftiness and they lie in wait to deceive. They wait. They, they, are, they are looking and anticipating for someone that they can deceive and pounce on, if you will, with their falsehoods. That would be susceptible to receive them. And in Ephesus, these type of men have found a group of people in this day, in the early part of the church, who are susceptible. And Timothy's job was to go in and give them that which is true and that which edifies. Look at verse 15. Here's what I'm interested in. But... Speaking the truth, notice these two words, in love. See the connection there between tr truth and love and how those two things are used collectively to build the body of Christ and to keep them safe from false teachers. Notice this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up 
into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted uh, by that which every joint supplieth. Each person, each member of the body of Christ bringing something to the ministry, bringing something uh, to the work of God. And he says, if, if you don't have false, if you don't have true doctrine, you're weak. Your joint is weak. It's not going to supply that which needs to be supplied for the whole body to join together the way that is supposed to. Amen. He says here, from whom the whole body, verse 16, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. And again, these two words, in love. I would submit to you this evening that there seems to be a connection between true biblical doctrine and love. Amen. Charity, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Look with me real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Notice this, in charity. To these here, uh, to, to these here, Paul uh, is speaking uh, to Timothy as a young man. And he says, when you stand as the pastor of that church, even though you're a young man and they may be tempted to despise thy youth, he says, remember, amen, to be an example of the believers in what you say in conversation. And that's in how you live. Amen. Words, what you say, conversations, how you live. And then charity. That's the love that you have. Paul here is saying that the reason why a young man in the ministry like Timothy was to be able to counteract those that would want to despise his youth in a position of authority. He said if you live a mature Christian life in front of them, that is, that, that, that backs up why, I've, why God has put you in that place as their pastor. If you live that way, there's no way that they can truthfully despise your youth. Here, Paul is using that as a personal illustration to Timothy as, as a means to show and demonstrate spiritual growth beyond the years of your age. In Titus chapter number 2 and in verse number 2, Paul says this, he says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith. And then he says in charity. For young men, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and for elderly men, Titus chapter 2 and verse 2, and I believe he says in pretty much, amen, everywhere in between, you can show that you're spiritually mature, whether you're young or old, by the love that you have, by the charity, amen, that godly agape love that Christ has put in and that you allow to come out of your life that demonstrates spiritual maturity, amen. Charity is said to be a sign of spiritual maturity in both of these verses. And one cannot grow spiritually without the Bible doctrine that produces charity. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says in part that knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Isn't that interesting? That the Bible tells us that, 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 uh, that charity edify, edifies. And then our text in 1 Timothy chapter 1 tells us that true Bible doctrine edifies. That if you're going to be built up, if you're going to grow in your spiritual life, amen, it's going to take Bible doctrine and it's going to take charity. It's going to take love. Amen. And I believe the Bible teaches that that true Bible doctrine will produce charity in our life. Amen. If the people of Ephesus are to be edified, they must have Bible doctrine producing a charity that will cause them to be edified. <coughs> we could say much more about that, but I'm not going to take the time to do that this evening. Amen. Notice, I believe 
that these truths that we're teaching this evening about Bible doctrine and charity and how the end of a commandment to embrace Bible doctrine is charity. Amen. It's expressed that way in this text. I don't believe this is something that just applies to the particular church that God had put Timothy in to serve as their pastor. I don't even believe that it only applies to the present church in the, uh, the moment in history that Timothy is in. But I believe it points to you and I as a perspective church and gives us an application of these truths as well. If we're going to grow and if we're going to be able to not succumb to false teaching, amen, we must embrace true Bible doctrine. We must shun the fables and shun the endless genealogies. Embrace the truth and let the truth of God produce charity in our lives that we can extend to a lost and dying world. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. I'm going to have to hurry with this. Matthew chapter number 5. You may say, well, preacher, what is the point in our lives expressing charity? Well, I'll give you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but Matthew 5 verse 43 says this. Ye have heard... This is Jesus speaking that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Jesus said in verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. That is a derivative of the word agape. It is agapeo. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Look at verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain. Excuse me, on the just and on the unjust. Verse 46, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Verse 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, does that word perfect not remind you of what Paul said in Ephesians 4? How Bible doctrine... It received in love from a person that has spoken it in love. Amen. Will cause us to come to a place of perfection, spiritual maturity in our Christian life. Paul said, uh, Jesus said, excuse me. Amen. He said, be ye therefore perfect. Amen. Be ye therefore uh, grown spiritually, having a firm spiritual understanding, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Jesus said that it is our charity that comes out of our life that shows the world that we are His children. Amen. John 13 verse 35 not only talks about the love that we uh, have in our life and that we show in our life, but John 13 13 talks about the love that we have for other believers. Jesus said that, it, that by our love one for another would all men know that we are His disciples. That agape love is what John 13 is talking about. A self-serving, a, 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 a non-selfish, non-self-serving, Christ-emulating love. He said if you show that to the lost and if you show that to other believers, amen, they'll know whose child you are. And so it is important every time we come to church, every time we hear the Word of God preached, every time we hear the Word of God taught, that we embrace it and we diligently turn our ears from anything that's not true and anything that's not found within the two lids of our King James Bible because this book will produce a love in us that will let a lost world see Jesus in us. Amen. And will let others, amen, in the church know that they're loved. And when the world looks at our love one for another, they'll identify us as His children. 
It's more important than just coming to church and listening and uh, being a good Christian and being in your place and then hearing some words and leaving. No, this works effectually in our life if we'll let it. Amen. God works all of this for the big picture of seeing folks saved by the grace of God and seeing those in the church build up in spiritual doctrine. Amen. We've talked about charity explained. We've talked about charity expressed. Lastly tonight I want to say something about charity expounded. Notice what he says again in verse 5. Now the end of the commandment, the purpose, the aim of the commandment is charity. Notice this, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. In other words, he is saying that the charity that I uh, that I'm telling you will be produced. It comes from a place of love, and it will have love produced in you. He says, is out of, or it is from a pure heart. It is from a good conscience. It is from faith unfeigned. This charge, this commandment has come from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and a fa from faith unfeigned. This verse tells us the source in which charity will be mined from. Charity is to come from a pure heart, it is to come from a good conscience, and it is to come from faith unfeigned. He is telling them this is where this commandment has come from us. And then he says this is where charity will come from you. It is a twofold application. I believe when he says, Amen, from a pure heart, Amen, it is where he's dealing with a heart that is pure, that charity comes from a heart that is pure, that is dealing with our desires. The word heart in the English language is one that combines both the physical and the metaphorical. I'll say this, when we use the word heart in our language, it deal, we deal more with the metaphorical than we do the physical. I don't know how many times the heart comes up in my daily uh, conversation or in my yearly conversation where I'm talking about the primary muscular organ that pumps blood into motion throughout the human body or the body of another species. I don't know if I'm talking about the organ as much as I do in terms of its use in a metaphorical sense. Metaphorically, the heart is commonly used to describe the inner part of anything. It is the inner part of mankind. The heart, according to the way we normally use it, in the way that is primarily used in the Scriptures, the heart is the chief part or the most vital part of someone or something. It is the seat of a man's affections and passions, particularly of love. It is the seat of his understanding. It is the seat of his will. In particular, it deals with his secret purposes, his secret intentions, or his secret designs of mind. It is the place of secret thoughts or secret recesses of his mind. The word heart and its variations are used 884 times in our King James Bible and used in a multiplicity of ways concerning both evil uses or good uses. Amen. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the heart. It talks about the forwardness or the perverseness or the disobedience and rebellion that lies within the heart. When it says forwardness is in his heart, he deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. They speak that it speaks of the heart. The book of Proverbs does uh, how the heart devises wicked imaginations in Proverbs 6:18. It talks about a perverse heart in Proverbs 12:8. It talks about a deceitful heart in Proverbs 12:20. It talks about the heart of fools in chapter 12 verse 23. It talks about a sorrowful heart in chapter 14 and verse 13. Chapter 14 and verse 14 talks about the heart of a backslider. And chapter 16 and verse 5 speaks about a proud heart. Those are some of the negative uses of the heart in the Bible. But then Proverbs also talks about positive uses for the heart. That is in chapter 14 and verse 30. Uh, it, it talks about a sound heart 
heart. In chapter 14, verse 33, chapter 16 and verse 21, and chapter 16, verse 23, the Bible talks about a wise heart. Chapter 15, verse 13 of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 22, talks about a merry heart and how it doeth good like a medicine. Here in our text, the Bible is talking about a pure heart. This is speaking of the fact that this charge is not being issued by Paul to Timothy or from Timothy to the church at Ephesus with any kind of impure or any kind of corrupt desire or intention. This charge as all preaching, sh as all preaching should be done was issued from Paul and was issued by Timothy to them with the best intentions in mind. That is what he is saying when he says that the end of the commandment is charity, that I want to produce charity in your life through true doctrine, and I want to do this. And he's, he's telling them that the reason why I've done all of this is because of a pure heart. I have the best intentions for you, Paul says. He tells Timothy, he says that Timothy, by embracing this and preaching this, will be letting this church know of his, of his desire toward them, that he has the best intentions, that he's not trying to hurt them in any way. He's not trying to pull them away from something that is a blessing to them, amen, but he wants what is best for them. All he wanted was, was what, what was for best for them. He wasn't trying to keep them away from anything that would be a blessing. He was only trying to keep them away from damnable heresies that would ruin them spiritually, that would confuse them biblically, and that would stun their spiritual growth. This preaching of this charge of Bible doctrine was also designed to produce this same pure heart in them. It was, from, it was to be from a place of pure understanding of what was right, and it was to convey this pure understanding of what is right to them. That they can walk in that and embrace that in their lives. Amen. They had been embracing that which was false. It had, been, it had instilled in them a craving, a desire, or a lust for that which is false. Amen. And now because of this Bible teaching, they were being removed from the idea that they were a special class of people because of their genealogies. Amen. And the teaching of the Word of God. I taught them where they actually stood in the eyes of the Lord and what God wanted from them. Amen. This pure preaching would produce in them a pure heart that would no longer desire the false, but would desire the true and would produce no selfish desire in them based upon that which they had been taught about their genealogies. So he says it comes from a pure heart that deals with our desires. It deals with their desires. But secondly, he says, not only does this come from a heart that is pure, but secondarily it comes from a conscience that is good. Notice verse 5, he says, and of a good conscience. If a pure heart deals with our desires, I believe a good conscience deals with our deeds. Conscience in the Bible. <coughs> is used by, in terms of both of its primary meanings in Scripture. The first definition of how conscience is used in the Bible is an internal or a self-knowledge. It is a judgment of right or wrong. Uh, Webster said that it is the power or principle within us that decides the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our actions and affections and instantly approves or condemns them. In other words, it's a sense of morality. The conscience tells us what is right and what is wrong. Amen. It causes us to have an understanding of what is lawful and what is not lawful. What should be approved of in our actions and what should be condemned. So the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, it bears this definition. But it also carries with it another idea in the scripture. And only context can tell you which one it is describing. The word context. Conscious in the Bible can also talk about a mere consciousness. In other words, the Bible uses the word conscience to just simply talk about a knowledge of our actions or our, our thoughts. The, the idea of simply being aware of what's going on around us. 
this is speaking in our text when it talks about a good conscience. It is talking about a conscience that comes from this sense of morality and in a sense of morality that it is, it is not guilty of any wrongdoing. Remember, I said it deals with our actions. So when Paul says the end of the commandment is charity, I want this to this uh, preaching. I want this sound doctrine that Timothy is going to give uh, to produce love in your life, produce charity in your life. And I want you to know that my desires for you are not to hurt you, but are to help you when I come and preach what's right and absolutely dismantle what you're used to. It's coming from a good place, but also not only is my desires right, but my deeds toward you are right. Amen. The good conscience is spoken of six times in the Bible, and each of them deal with deeds or actions that are either unholy or holy, that are either helpful and a blessing, or they're hurtful to others. I don't have time to deal with them. If you're taking notes, you can write down Acts 23.1. You can write down Hebrews 13.8. You can write down 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. You can write down Acts chapter 24 and verse number 16. All of those talk about having a good conscience. Amen. That is a good conscience because one's life has given them that sound mental status of their morality because their deeds have been holy. Here's what Paul's saying. When I've done this to you, he is saying that not only is his heart pure because he does not desire to hurt them in any way by what he's preaching, no matter how hard it is, but he is saying that not only does he not desire to hurt them, but he has not hurt them by anything that he said. His desires have been right, but now also his deeds are right. Lastly, I'll close with this. He says that the charity here is expounded as coming from a heart that is pure, coming from a conscience that is good, and then lastly, coming from a faith that is unfeigned. Look at verse 5. And he says, in part, and of faith unfeigned. I've mentioned this before, but unfeigned faith means faith that is not faked. It is faith that is not hypocritical. If you remember 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, what Paul said about Timothy concerning his faith. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 1.5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. The two times in the Bible that unfeigned faith is talked about, both times apply directly to this young man by the name of Timothy. He says to, to Timothy, he says, you let them know that as hard as you've had to preach against sin and against false doctrine, even though they've been engaged in it, even though they may have been unaware and they're used to it, and it seems like you're disrupting everything they've known about their church experience from the early days of their Christian journey, and this may seem like like an absolute bombshell and shock to them. You let them know that you're not trying to hurt them, that you are not hurting them by what you're doing. You're going to help them, that your conscience before God is clear. And more than that, you let them know that the reason why you're preaching this is because you have a true, genuine faith in God and what God can do in them and through them. He says here, it's unfeigned faith. A pure heart deals with our deeds, or our desires. A good conscience deals with our deeds. Unfeigned faith deals with our doctrine. Go with me real quickly tonight, and I'm done. One last illustration, and I'm done. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A couple of weeks ago when Brother Tommy taught Sunday school out of this passage, I wanted to share this with him. I was hoping he'd be here tonight for me to share this from the pulpit, but I know if I know Tommy, I know he's probably listening. 
let me say this. <clears throat> Look at First Timothy chapter number thirteen. Or excuse me, First Corinthians chapter thirteen. We'll begin reading in verse 4. We all know this is the great charity chapter of the Bible. And Timothy said that, or Paul told Timothy, he said, the end of the commandment is charity. If you want to know anything about charity, you can find it here in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll submit to you, I believe we find a pure heart, we find a good conscience, and we find faith unfeigned in the charity chapter of the Bible. Timothy said, or Paul told Timothy, he said, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That Bible doctrine is coupled with charity and it produces a, comes from a place of a pure heart, of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And if it is received by those who hear Bible doctrine, it will produce a pure heart in them their desires will be right. It will produce a good conscience in them. Their deeds will be right. It will produce faith unfeigned in them. Their doctrine will be right. Their deep-seated belief in God will be right. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse number 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Look at verse 6. Talking about charity again, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. All of those things, it talks about, it's talking about our desires. It's not, it suffers long, it's kind, it envieth not. And I believe we see a pure heart, kindness, and good, good will toward others, not trying to hurt others, but desiring to be good to others. We see a heart of pure love in those verses. Look at verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That deals with deeds. That he's that that someone that has true love, it's not easily provoked. Amen. It seeks not her own. The actions will be uh, esteeming others better than themselves. That is a good conscience. And then look at verse seven, talking about faith unfeigned, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I'd submit to you each of those little nuggets of truth deal with our faith. We see charity coming from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from faith unfeigned. Tonight, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to submit this to you this evening. I believe in verse number 5 we find, as Paul tells Timothy of the aim of this epistle that he's writing and this charge that he's giving, the purpose behind it, we find that which is supposed to be the aim of the ministry of every real pastor, every real Bible teacher, and every real Christian servant. Pure heart, a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Paul told Timothy, I'm giving this to you to give to them because my heart's pure, my conscience is in, a good, is in a good standing before God, and my faith is genuine. And when you preach it to them, you can be encouraged that while it may upset everything they're used to, you can guarantee, you can push forward. It might not be part of your personality set. It may cause you to go against the grain and step out of your comfort zone, but it will produce good good things in them, a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. And despite how uncomfortable it may be, we all need that charity to join with true doctrine and work those things in our life. He tells him to keep going because what he's about to do is going to work these things in him. Amen. And it will do the same for us. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,